Hey everybody, I'm Maggie. And I'm Amber. And this is Crime Country. Today, we are in the UK. Are you in the UK? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's in, it's in the UK. Okay, cool. So, I didn't really know even what was included in the UK, so don't feel bad. I was Googling it and I got more confused than I was before. So... <laughs> We're ignorant Americans. If you haven't, if so you know, bad. If you've listened this far and haven't learned that yet, we will openly admit it. Yeah, I'm an idiot. And then we're ignorant Midwesterners. We don't even know the East Coast of the U.S. So <laughs> yeah, I was like thinking that we were in Europe, and so I told Aaron, and he's like, "Well, that's Europe." And what? Like, like the U.S. Oh yeah, the U. Well, like Europe because it's UK. a continent or whatever. And I'm like. Oh, uh, okay, cool. The weird thing about the UK is, is that, um, it includes Northern Ireland, but not the Republic of Ireland, so it doesn't even include all of Ireland, and then it includes, um, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, but anything else in Europe, I thought it kind of all was just the UK, but it's not. It's, um, just those four countries inside this sovereign country. And so the UK is a sovereign country that includes four other countries. I don't get it. And I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I was like looking it up and I was just like, like you, I was just getting more confused. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not even going to pretend to know anything about this because I don't. Yeah, that's the extent of basically the research I did. Um, there are varying governments in each of the four different countries, and they have different levels of power in each of the countries, so they're not even all under the same government, so I don't even understand why the UK is really a thing, but it is under the reigning mon monarch Queen Elizabeth II, and so I don't, know, I don't really get it, but that's where we're at. And I will go into more details, but Honestly, that's as simple as I could make it for myself. <laughs> yeah. Some weird laws in the UK include all beached whales and sturgeons must be offered to the reigning monarch. Ooh. Whales and sturgeons are considered royal fish and they belong to the queen if she wants them. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, that law was made by King something in 18 something. Queen Elizabeth doesn't really care about beached whales, um, having them in her possession at least. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would much either. Yeah, seems like a lot of work. <laughs> it's illegal to handle salmon under suspicious circumstances. What the hell? I know, under we had suspicious that. Suspicious circumstances. <laughs> uh, we had that like last week or the week before, and I made yeah. that raunchy joke, but. Um, this one clarified a little bit that, like, it's illegal to poach salmon, but, um, it's just worded really funny. Yeah, it's super funny wording. Uh, it's illegal to be drunk and in charge of cattle in England and Wales. Hmm, alright. You don't pass the herd on to your wife if you want to go have a few. Uh, <laughs> It's illegal to impersonate a police officer or soldier, even at costume parties. Oh, man. Yeah, that's like a big costume here. Which is actually yes. funny, because I was listening to the podcast Red Handed um, today, and they 
were talking about the crime story, whatever, and they were talking about how there was a costume party and the guy was dressed up as a cop and it was in London and one of the hosts was like, oh, that's impersonating an officer and the other one like made fun of her for that because they don't take this law seriously. People can dress up as cops, like a slutty cop or whatever for Halloween and the other one was like making fun of her and she's like, well, it is. And then they kind of just moved on and then I read this law and I was like, she was right. But she, like, got all embarrassed and acted like, well, okay, yeah, you're right. Like, it's that's not impersonating an officer. But it is, and it's against the law in the UK, which is where their story took place. So, Hannah, red-handed, you will never hear this, but you were right. Anyway. <laughs> you will never hear this, but you were right. Um, it's illegal for a person who knowingly has the plague to flag down a taxi or to ride on a bus, which are is super relevant in COVID times. That's exactly what I thought of. I'm like, hmm. That law was written during the plague, but they had the same issue of people trying to go out and fuck in public while they were <laughs> sick with the plague. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, it's illegal to fire a cannon within 300 yards of a dwelling. That's probably smart. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not a huge uh, issue or concern these days and age, but... Yeah. Who knows? Back in the day. You Maybe know. Somebody's firing off cannons all willy-nilly. So, I'm pretty sure one of my neighbors has a, a cannon. Oh, yeah. No, I remember. He was doing it during a show one time. Yeah. On and then... The 4th of July or something. Yeah. Freaking weird. I'm like, why? Why? I don't know. I don't understand. That's crazy. Yeah. They're like, well, it doesn't shoot anything projectile. It just makes the noise. It's like a starter gun for races, you know? It just fake noise. My dad has a starter gun. Um, it's really loud. You just fill it with like blank bullets and gunpowder. And so it makes the same noise. It looks like it is a real gun, but it just fires blanks basically. And it's really fucking loud, but they use it to start races because that was the thing. So shoot the gun in the air so everybody knows exactly when the race starts or whatever the reason is. I don't know. But yeah, it's a weird thing. It is a weird thing. I don't know. I didn't appreciate it. One time my dad had the cops call on him. Oh, jeez. <laughs> starter gun. Whoops. Uh, um, oh my god, I don't even know if I should tell this story on the podcast. <laughs> so... I was really little. My parents were divorced. Our dad was picking us up on Friday night because it was his weekend. And so he picks us up and he's like, oh, my friend got me these jazz tickets. He won them at work, but he can't use them. So he's giving them to me. Um, But I have to meet him in the parking lot of the grocery store by your mom's house. So we're going to swing by there, pick up those tickets, and then we'll go to my house or whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. And me and my sister are like 12 and 13. And he pulls in the parking lot the guy's parked up by like the road facing the road and he pulls into the spot like behind the guy with like a gap between where you people can drive you know so we're like facing his car and can see him and he's like you guys stay here i'll be right back so my dad gets out of the car he's going he's talking to this guy he's like just standing outside the guy's the guy's driver's side window dude has his window rolled down he's just talking to his work buddy or whatever and also my dad pulls out his gun and pretends to like stick him up and he like fires his starter gun a bunch of times to scare the shit out of his buddy and the guy like dove and ducked and then like they laughed about how my dad just fired a fucking real fake gun at him and he gave him the tickets and me and my sister are sitting in the car like facing this and we were just kind of talking and bullshitting and then all of a sudden (laughs) We're like, what the fuck is happening? Because <laughs> it was super loud. And 
And then they like talk for another 30 seconds and laugh or whatever. And my dad comes back to the car and he's like, hey, let's go in the store real quick. I need to grab a couple things for dinner. (laughs) So we go in the store and we're at checkout. And my sister starts laughing and my dad just kind of gives her a side eye. And we leave checkout and he's like, did that guy fart? And my sister was like, what? And he was like, were you laughing because the bagger farted? And my sister was like, no, a guy just came in and said he saw a shooting in the parking lot. Oh, jeez. And my dad's like, what? So we're walking to the door and there's all these police lights. Like, a bunch of cops in the parking lot. Oh my god. And my dad had this like hat on and he just like takes it off and sticks it in his coat and we just mosey onto his car and <laughs> he's like, shh, don't say anything. Oh my god. Because he didn't want to have to like pay for all the police response for his poor choice. And so we like get to the car and there's like all these cops my dad had to do like a five point turn to get out of his parking spot because there was all these cops there was like two ambulances it was like a fucking zoo oh my god and there's this guy standing in the parking lot where my dad's friend had been parked talking to a cop and he was gesturing on the ground like it was right here oh my god and he's just like looking like what the fuck like i swear to god i saw this (laughs) and my dad's just like fuck oh fuck oh fuck and so he just goes home and that's he was like you guys can't tell anybody about this because i could be held responsible legally for that and paid tens of thousands of dollars for that response i bet he never shot that thing in public like that again he was such a dumb choice what an irresponsible man child my father is i don't know i think i still should i cut this out of the podcast like can i tell this story publicly is this could this be used in court against my dad um 20 years later i don't think so probably not (laughs) but oh my god what an idiot (laughs) good job dad that was not a smart decision it was probably freaking fun at the time. Oh I God, could see why so... they were just laughing their asses off. Yeah, anybody was like scared shitless for a second, you know, like because it was so loud. It was as loud as a real gun, and my dad's like the goofiest, just like nicest guy, but he doesn't think through his actions, obviously. And he's like, well, I had that idea beforehand. I, I looked to try to make sure nobody was looking before I did it. It's like we're well, not well enough. Like it's a busy fucking road. And it's loud. And this poor man that saw it just for the rest of his life is like, I swear to God, I saw a murder. I swear to God, I saw a murder. That guy got away with murder. He's like watching the news for like missing people reports and shit. And like, could they have been the guy I saw murdered in the parking lot of that grocery store? Oh, gosh. Uh, Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) It's our longest intro ever. Okay. So. We're in the UK. We're going to tell you guys some UK crime stories. If you want to explain to us what the UK is in layman terms, feel free to do so. We would appreciate it. Yeah. Teach us all the things. <laughs> okay, okay. So, mine, my story is kind of like a little different. There's not like too much hardcore, like crazy murder cool. and things like that. So... Mine's a little gnarly this week, so cool, cool. I feel like usually you do the gnarly one, and I do the one that's a little different, so. Yeah, so this week, mine's not very gnarly, 
but I mean, the premise is still there, I guess you could say. Okay. And I'm kind of not picking just one thing. I'm picking one thing that I'm telling you about, and then I'm telling you about, like, people from that place. Cool. So, anyways, enough of my trying to explain it, but not really explain it so that I don't give it away, and I'll just start telling you the story. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Cool, cool, cool. So, I'm going to tell you about the Broadmoor Hospital. Woohoo. Um, I'm excited. Yeah. I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to learn more about the Broadmoor. I'm probably not going to give you as much details as you want because I still want to know more about it, but it's the basics. I don't know anything about it. I just know it came up in passing when I was, like, skimming articles to see if I wanted to read that story, you know? And it's really old is what I know about it and had, like, a problematic history, I think. I don't even know, but... I didn't look into it at all, so I'm glad you did. Yeah, so it is a high-security psychiatric hospital in Crowthorne, Berkshire, England. Um, and it's the oldest of three secure or three high-security psychiatric um, hospitals in England. That's crazy. Like, I don't know how big England is, but it's barely bigger than Utah. What? And there's three ginormous psychiatric hospitals? But, wait, hold on. So, Utah is 87% the size of the United Kingdom. But the United Kingdom has 63 million more people. Holy shit. So, the UK is extremely densely populated and slightly bigger than... Utah. Wow. That's interesting. Um, That's real interesting. Because I was going to say, like, why does a small country need three high-security insane asylums, basically, but yeah. or psychiatric hospitals, which is definitely the better way to say that. Um, <laughs> but there's that many fucking people. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. Okay, yeah, never mind. That's probably why. I rescind my question. That's crazy. <laughs> But now we know more about the UK. Huh, yeah, There's a that's shit a ton of people there. Yeah, super interesting fact. We uh, think London's kind of like New York in like densely populatedness. Okay, so yeah. I could see that. That makes more sense. Like Utah's not the most densely populated place. It's just Very true. what came up on Google because I live in Utah. Hmm. Interesting how that works. Google, <laughs> you sly devil, you. So, the hospital was first known as the Broadmoor Criminal Lunatic Asylum, and I guess it, the initial building of it was completed in 1863. That's so, crazy. That's really old. Pretty old. Um, and then just a couple of fun facts. The first patient was a female on May 27th of 1863, and she was admitted for infanticide, mm-hmm. and I didn't look up what that was, but I'm pretty sure it's like killing up their infant. It's infant homicide, infant side. Uh, that's like familicide is killing your family, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um, oh, so so really like postpartum depression in a world that doesn't acknowledge probably. mental health problems. <laughs> yeah, so she was the first um, patient, and then the second 
or the first male patient, not necessarily the second patient. Um, the first male patient was there on February 27th of 1864. So like a whole year later almost was the first male patient. Huh. That's weird. And it's huge, yeah. right? Yeah. So it, um, the original building was a plan for like five blocks um, four for men and then one for women. Um, and that was all completed. That bigger section of it was all completed in 1868. So five years after it first opened. So oh. I think it started off smaller and then got bigger. So they probably just finished the women's section first and then probably. moved her in and didn't have any room for a man until a and year later. Expanded. Interesting. Yeah. Um. And then even after that, there was another male block built um, in 1902. Is it a really pretty building? So I didn't look at too much of the pictures. So I'm not that uh, sure. But like now, it's all basically brand new. It's still in use, right? Yeah, it's still in use. And well, the building is doesn't look super pretty in some of the pictures it kind of looks like scary like a prison hmm that makes sense i just like old buildings um really intrigue me is what this like whole podcast has taught me about myself is i fucking love the history of crime (laughs) yeah for sure um but like some of the pictures from like the wikipedia article that i have like one of them's in black and white, so you can't really see, but it's, like, a huge freaking place, like, huge compound, basically. Um, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm looking at pictures now, too, because I was curious. Yeah. It does look like a prison, basically. Well, like a yeah. fancy prison, like an old prison, I guess. Um, not what you would see built today. Anyways, anyways, so um, during the First World War, and I'm the worst, I don't even remember when that was. 1912. So the <laughs> first, well, if it was in 1912, maybe, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> we have to Google it. Just for the dates. Uh, 1918. Ah. Oh, wait, no, no, no. 1914 to 1918. Yeah, 1914 to 1918. I was so close. You were much closer than me. I really had no guess as to when it was. Spencer's so good with historic dates of wars, and I'm like, 1920, and he's like, 1914. Oh, fuck. World War II started in 1940-something, I think. Yeah, he's going to listen to this, and he's going to cringe. He's way behind on episodes. He's way behind on episodes, so we'll see. Uh, if you ever hear this, Spencer, fuck you, don't say anything to me. <laughs> Just kidding, I love you. You need to leave that in, right? <laughs> Maybe, we'll see. See how I feel when I edit this. <laughs> I edit sober and I hate myself when I edit. Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm going to stop being off topic. So, 
during the First World War, um, the Block 1 of the Broadmoor was also used as a prisoner of war camp. Um, and so I guess it was for mentally ill German soldiers that they used it for, which um, is interesting. God, I know nothing about World War One. Me either. I feel like it's really skipped over in American history class. It's like really focuses on World War Two, but I know the Germans were the bad guys. But was England on Germany's side in World War One, or was no one on Germany's side in World War One? Good question. I don't remember. Anybody want to let us know? Give us a terrible, well, not a terrible review, but just tell us we're idiots. Five stars. And let us know. Five stars and tell us how dumb we are. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> um, so, anyways, it goes on, and this it's this big, gigantic place, and it kind of grows, and then gets more people, and then um, there was obviously people that escaped at some points, so... There was one guy that escaped in 1952, and his name is John Staffin. I didn't look into it, but the article says he murdered a local child, and he had escaped from the hospital. And so once he escaped, uh, they decided, well, shit, we don't really have an alarm system set up, so maybe we should get on that, you know? Um, So it's always been like an insane asylum, right? Yeah. And so has it already always been for the criminally insane, do you know? Or was it just, like, broad, broadly insane asylum? I don't know if it's always been for criminally insane. I think it could be for just, like, other mental illnesses. Um, because, like, if illnesses the first like lady that. killed her baby, that's a crime. But it's also something people realize, like, she's unwell, needs to go to this yeah. hospital, and they just lock her up in the hospital. And it was in the 1800s, so, like, 1850, and so there probably weren't laws on how long they could hold her there, so they probably just, like, locked her up indefinitely. But yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. So, they get this alarm system, and when I read about this alarm system, if you're from, like, somewhere near... Uh, what's it called? The place where Aaron used to work, um, Dugway. If you're anywhere near Dugway in Utah, they have this freaking alarm that goes off every week, like every Wednesday, my gra- sirens. My grandma lives in Ishpeming, Michigan, which is an extremely, extremely small town. And she lives right next door to the volunteer fire department um, because they don't have an actual fire department, they have to have volunteers because it's such a small town. But every night at 10 p.m., the siren goes off because it's curfew and kids need to be inside after 10 p.m. unless they're oh accompanied gosh. by an adult. So every night at 10 p.m., that siren goes off across town. So I'm sure people in small towns know exactly what you're talking about with the sirens. And um, if there was ever a fire, the siren would go off to like alert all the volunteer fire fighters to come like get their gear lock into their phones or whatever but yeah yeah so the whenever after this guy escaped they were like oh we probably need to put something in place so they get this like alarm system in place and so whenever anybody um escaped it was like this two-tone alarm that they sounded across the whole area um but they also tested it every Monday morning at 10 a.m. for two minutes. Um, 
So for two minutes, you just hear this, this siren. And then after that, for another two minutes, there's like another single tone siren. And it's like, all clear, all clear. Oh my gosh. Like for the test. So that's yeah. a long time. Yeah. It sounds like a quite a long alarm, but anyway, so they did that that way. Any schools or like anything in the area had procedures to ensure that like no child was ever out of direct supervision of a member of staff or like their family. So I think a lot of the people there like were there for doing terrible things to children. Oh, Jesus. But also, like, any prison or jail is going to put the local schools and houses on lockdown or whatever. Yeah. So, So I guess that makes sense. Like, obviously, if anybody escapes anywhere, they're going to be like, okay, well, keep the kids because they're helpless. Yeah, we set off the siren. You can stay inside if you want because you know there's a siren going on. Kids do whatever the fuck they want. You need to keep an eye on them for a while. Yeah. (laughs) So, so on and so forth, like, things go, they have all this stuff, and like you said, there was kind of, like, malpractices, like, the wrong word, but there was, like, bad stuff going on there, but I didn't go into much of the details. I feel like that's the right word. Yeah, malpractice, I guess. Yeah, of the mentally unwell, like, yeah, in history, they haven't been treated well, so... Yeah, so there's definitely some controversy um, of that, and I think it went through, like, some different ownership and things like that because of these things that happened. Um, And again, I'm just going to give you, like, the brief stuff. I didn't get to, like, dig deep into any of it. Yeah, because I'd be, like, a one story. You wouldn't be able to give the whole history. It would just be that one story. Yeah, but in 2003... The healthcare, not it says the Commission for Healthcare Improvement. So I don't know if that's like part of the health department or whatever. But I think it's what they call the health department. Yeah. So I'm surprised they don't call it the Ministry of Health, like Harry Potter. No, that would, <laughs> that would be way funner than the Commission for Healthcare Improvement. They really do call stuff like that, like the Ministry of Finance and shit. That'd be way cooler than saying it like this. But in 2003, the Commission for Healthcare Improvement deemed that um, these Victorian buildings at the hospital were basically unfit for purpose. So they had to, like, shut down for a time being. Hmm. I was actually surprised they were still open. So I that makes sense because it was built in fucking 1840. 1863. But yeah, I mean, it went on for a long time, and I'm, I guarantee it was like an old, rundown building. And so, yeah, in 2003, deemed unfit for purpose, so they had to close. Um, and then the primary use for the Broadmoor was psychiatric medication and psychotherapy, but also occupational therapy. So those were kind of the things that they specialized in at that place. Mm. Um and a lot of the building, even though, like, it's been redone and things like that, a lot of it is still Victorian. And there's, like, a gatehouse, I guess, that still has a clock tower, oh. like an old-timey clock tower. So that's kind of cool. That's good, because I feel like what's the point of keeping the same building if you're just going to, like, 
demolish it and rebuild it? Yeah. I don't know. So the building gets shut down, but then it gets uh, restored, I guess you could say, and added on to. So in 2012, they got this huge old grant to like redevelop and they wanted 10 new wards to adjoin the six existing wards and then they wanted to make like a matter uh, a modern oh my gosh a modern paddock unit um area so basically it would make the total beds available um 234 oh. in the building i was gonna say that sounds huge but 234 is not that many yeah but I mean, it's a huge ass place. So yeah. I guess they kept it pretty, like, decently populated, not overpopulated. That's great. Um, that's so, that's so not American. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they got that going. That's probably so, why it hasn't been shut down. <laughs> probably. Yeah, exactly. Because they can manage it and maintain it. I um, hear about these in the US, and it's like, oh, it was fucking terrible, and they've been shut down since yeah. the 1970s or whatever. Right. So um, they did that, and then by 2017, they were uh, ready to start accepting patients again. So there was that. There was never more than four of the six 12-bedded wards, like, full at one time. So there was never more than four times 12, 40, 20 to, oh my God, 48, 48 plus 48, or is it for 12, 12, 24? Yeah, 48. Oh my God, we're so bad at this. (laughs) That was a confusing thing to say though. So there was never, there was six 12 bedded wards. Yes. And there was never more than four of those full. That's yes. crazy. Like, that's great. Good job for them realizing, like, overstaffing of this type of institution only leads to bad things. Yeah. So, um, and now, how you were talking about the Ministry of whatever, now in this article it says the Department of Health and Ministry of Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, they published um, something in October 2011 Um kind of going through all of the resources that invested in this new program and all that good stuff. That's great. Um, I think that's one good thing about universal healthcare is that like hospitals like this can't get private funding and then abuse grants or offers from the government to get money in their own pockets because the U S healthcare system is so fucking broken that they can get so much extra money for the more patients they have, and then our old-ass mental institutions have not been well-run because there wasn't enough people paying attention to it or caring, and they just wanted somewhere to send these people. And then the doctors or the people running the hospital would realize, like, oh, we can make a shit ton of money because these are privately run institutions in the United States, and we can get all these government grants or write-offs and all this sorts of shit, and so then they would just give horrible care to line their own pockets, but in yeah. a country where you have universal health care, there's not this huge markup. I mean, I don't know. People are probably screaming at their radio right now if they're not in the U.S., and they're like there's been a huge abuse of power in these kind of institutions here too, which I, 
maybe, but it's, yeah. I was expecting to hear a lot more of that in this history. And it's part of the reason I'm surprised it's still even operational today is because usually you hear about mental hospitals built in the 1800s in the U S that were just fucking terror machines basically for hundred, a yeah. hundred years. And then finally got oh, shut down oh. many, many years later and just torn down because they were so fucking terrible. Right. There's too many of that. Yeah. Um, but this um, little snippet that I did just say, so they did end up coming back at some point. That's what the, the Department of Health and Ministry of Justice said, basically, that the money that they were getting um, or the resources should be invested in or should not be invested in like these personal personality disorder strategies to help but it should instead be used in prison-based treatment programs, which is not great. Um, And so, again, the Broadmoor had to close March 31st of 2012. So it was closed again for a time. But then this trust, and I think it's it's called the NHS Trust, and I'm awful because I remember NHS, but I don't remember what that stands for. No, the NHS sounds really familiar to me, too, but I don't know what it stands for. Um, The National Health Service. Yeah. It's like the CDC here. Okay, yeah, that makes sense to to us. So Um, we have a trust from the NHS. That makes sense because the NHS would be more focused on fucking mental health help than criminal persecution. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, for sure. Um, So they took uh, possession of it and then they started opening um, and being kind of like phasing back in in May of 2019. So they were closed for a while. Yeah. A bit. But then in May 2019, they started up again. And to this day, they're still operational, as far as I could tell. But I tried to like go to a website to look more about it but I got like an error and then I did end up finding more um on the NHS it's westlondon.nhs.uk there was more information about the Broadmoor Hospital on there so it is open and all that good stuff so that's so interesting I know some of the most notorious criminals in the UK have spent time at the Broadmoor only because I saw articles while I was researching that were like the most notorious criminals in London that have stayed at the Broadmoor but I didn't click on those articles um because I was like I had this idea in the back of my mind and I was like if I can't find anything I'm just gonna do an overview of the Broadmoor but then I found something so I'm glad you did an overview of the Broadmoor because I wanted to hear more about it and I'm really surprised it's not like the ones you hear in the U.S. Because yeah, I feel like I've covered a couple of those where they were just fucking terrible conditions. They yeah, awful. experimented on people. They had people living in, like, literal literal dog kennels um, and shit like that. Like, fucking terrible, mentally yeah. ill people and just, like, ten people shoved in a ten by ten foot room. Like, horrible conditions um, in the U.S. in these type of institutions. So, good job. UK. Yeah, I don't think there was anything like that terrible, but there definitely was some stuff going on at some point, some questionable things. Um, Which we, but, we learn more with age, and yeah, they 
you know, didn't know much about mental health in the 1800s. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And then how you said there was a bunch of people, um, there was a couple interesting little quick things um, for some of the people that stayed at the place. So this lady, Christina Edmonds, she is popularly known as the chocolate cream killer. Hmm. So she was born in October of 1828. So way back in the day, this woman carried out a series of poisonings in the early 1870s. And so what she would do is she would go purchase like chocolates from a confectionery. Um, that's what like this chocolatier or whatever was called a confectionery from a local shop. And I've so heard of like would, confectionery stores. I think some like fancy sweets shops still call themselves yeah. that. It sounds super fancy. <laughs> um, so she would go buy these chocolates from this fancy little whatever place and she would lace them with strychnine and then after that she would return them to this the shop where she bought them and so this guy the the confectionery guy he would just sell them and he had no idea you know he he had no idea at all and so people obviously started becoming pretty seriously ill because they were eating these like poison chocolates yeah but like no one ever could put two and two together or like could figure it out because like it wasn't happening often enough I guess for people to be like well that's hard to fucking link if you only got one of the chocolates and like fuck that's crazy yeah so this goes on for a while and like while she's doing this one of the people that succumbs to one of her poisoned chocolates is this four-year-old boy um and he ends up dying (sighs) and like that's the only person that ended up dying was this poor four-year-old boy thank god i mean that's terrible but thank god she didn't know how much strychnine to put in those to kill everybody that tried them because that's fucking terrible i can't imagine and it horrifies me that there's people in the world that just want to cause that kind of mayhem and harm like what the hell oh my god i guess Um, i'm gonna lock my kids in a bubble yeah i don't i don't know she definitely had something going on but in um the midst of it she ended up having some sort of i don't know if you if i can say relationship because it's never been proven or anything like there's really no details but anyway she gets involved with this doctor um named charles beard and at some point his wife gets violently ill oh, in shit. 1870 and so at that time when that happened the doctor like suspected that christina had done it but he didn't act on it because he really had no proof or like no real concrete information. And why expose his affair if he didn't have to. So Exactly. So that's why later on down the road, it was like in 1871, I think when the, the young boy died. And so when that happened, the doctor comes forward and is like, Hey, like, 
I have had these suspicions and this and this. So I guess whatever he tells the police, they're like, okay, that's enough. So then they arrest Christina um, and charge her with like attempted murder of his wife. And then eventually the murder of this young boy. And it's terrible. Yeah. Freaking awful. And the young boy's death was ruled um, accidental, but... I don't think that's accidental. <laughs> yeah. I accidentally put poison into these chocolates and then returned them to the store hoping that other people would eat them. Yeah. So, not accidental at all. Yeah. But eventually, she gets um, charged with it. So, her trial begins in 1972. And then, of course, at the trial, her mom is like, oh... All of our family suffers from mental illness and this and that. And then um, this is at the trial. The doctor, Dr. Beard, he comes forward and is like, no, we never had a sexual relationship, but she sent me letters all the time and they were very flirtatious and blah, blah, blah. So weird story, but I don't know. But she was held at Bronwyn. Yeah, and so she ends up getting sentenced to death, but it was commuted to life imprisonment due to her mental state, and then that's how she goes. She gets sent to the Broadmoor Criminal Lunatic Asylum, and she dies there in 1907. Earlier you said 1970-something, but you meant 1870-something. Just Oh, uh, yeah, I did mean 1870. My bad. Because in my head I was like, holy shit, she was old. <laughs> but... um. Yeah, if she died in 1907, you just meant 1876 or whatever. Oh, I said in January 1972. I must have meant 1872. That's what that's what I said. Okay. When her trial began in 70. Like, I legit was like, what? did she You're say like, she was wait, born again? What? Maybe I misremember, but okay, whatever. 1872, no. and then she died in 1907. Yeah. Crazy. She, I... I bet there's okay. so many interesting stories from the Broadmoor. Yeah, I definitely want to look more into it. And, like, there was a huge long list. And some of them seemed pretty interesting. But I just thought that one was fun because she was called the Chocolate Cream Killer. Whatever, and that made me laugh. Ooh, there's one like that in California, I think. A similar um, old-timey chocolate poison murder. Maybe I'll hit it next time we're in California. I think it was in California. But um, that's so interesting. Neat. Yeah, there was some other fun ones, but that's that's all for me today. Cool. I'll post some pictures of the Broadmoor in our social media post for this week. Yeah, now it's like this big fancy looking like place. It's insane. Yeah, that's nuts that it's at no point was, like, extremely overpopulated. Yeah. Because any hospital for the mentally unwell in the U.S. in the 1800s at some point in time was just completely overrun and horrible. That's crazy. That's interesting, because that's kind of what I was expecting, and I'm surprised. Neat. Yeah. So, much different. And, yeah, now it's, like, it looks like a freaking state-of-the-art, like, place that's great that's legit crazy interesting cool if we ever go to the uk let's visit broadmoor it's probably not um something they want people to do yeah probably not active mental hospital (laughs) so maybe maybe let's not do that maybe we should okay my story today 
is an old-timey one. So I'm going to tell you today about Kate Webster. Kate Webster was born in 1849 in what is now the Irish Republic. Which I think is the one that's not part of the UK now. So it was like Northern Ireland was part of the UK and the Republic of Irish or the Irish Republic was the other part of Ireland, I guess. I don't know, whatever. Anyways, she was born Catherine Waller to a poor but respected family in the Irish Republic. And her family didn't have much, but everybody respected them. They were good, hardworking people. And then Kate came along and she started a life of crime at a very young age. So, like, a lot of small kids will take stuff if they want it and don't have money for it or whatever. But Kate started doing this when she was a small kid and then just kept on going forever. So, very early on, she got a reputation for being dishonest. Like, everybody was like, oh, there's that little Kate, that little liar. That little liar. (laughs) And when Kate was in her early teens, she was able to steal enough money to board a ship to Liverpool. And yeah, and when she was in Liverpool, she continued her life of petty crimes. She would steal, she would try to trick people into giving her money for like charities, she would try to pickpocket people, but she was really bad at the pickpocketing and she got caught. And she was actually sent to prison at the age of 18 for four years for pickpocketing. Dang, yeah, so. That's a pretty steep stint for pickpocketing. Yeah, I think she had a lot of, like, minor things, too. Like, she was kind of getting caught all the time, but, I don't know, she pickpocketed the wrong person or something. But she got a four-year sentence. I don't know how much of that she actually served, because this is an old-timey one, so it's really hard to get, like, real details. Yeah. So she did her time in Liverpool for that. And after she got out, she was able to somehow get enough money to travel to London. So she went from Liverpool to London, and this is where she started going by the last name Webster. She would later say that, so her maiden name was Lawler, but at this point in time, she started going by Kate Webster. And she would later say that she met a sea captain, a sea captain with the last name Webster, and that she'd married him. In Ireland, and that they had four children together, but all four of the babies died in infancy, and her first husband died as well. Oh, man, that sounds awful. But, like, she moved out of Ireland when she was, like, 16. So when would she have had these four babies? And, like, how is there no record of this man? Yeah, I think that she's full of shit. The 1800s had less records taken so maybe Mm -hmm. if she like gave birth at home and I think she said something about having like two sets of twins or something like that to try and make it make sense but she went to prison in Liverpool at 18 so all of these four kids and husband had to happen before she was 18 years old for any of it to be true that's not likely yeah like I feel like maybe she had a one night stand with a sea guy that Last name was Webster, and she was like, yeah, sea guy. A guy that worked on a ship somewhere. <laughs> a sea guy. A sea guy. I don't think he was a captain. I think she just fucked a guy that worked on a ship, and his last name was Webster, and she was like, that's my last name now. But I don't know. 
She's a liar. She's known for being dishonest since a very young age. So she starts going by Kate Webster. So anyways, now she's in London. She's going by Webster. And she... Sorry, I kind of got backtracked in my story. In London, she became a cleaner. And she would get hired on to clean people's homes. But then she would eventually just steal from them and move on somewhere else. And... On to her next shenanigan. She was basically getting money anywhere in any way that she could. Whether it was stealing or telling people she was raising money for somebody who had lost everything in a fire. And then just keeping it all for herself. All sorts of different things. Petty crimes. Stealing money. That was her jam. But around the time she was 24, in 1873, she got hired on as a cook slash housekeeper for a man named Captain Woolbest. And while she was working for him, she met this man she called Strong. So I don't know if his last name was Strong, or if it was, like, his nickname because he was really strong, or, like, he was really skinny, and that was his nickname, ironically. I don't know. But (laughs) who knows? History just took this guy down as Strong. So she meets, meets this guy named Strong, they hit it off, and she moves in with him and gets pregnant with his baby pretty quickly. And she gave birth to her son in 1874, and then Strong promptly disappeared and abandoned her and her baby. Uh-oh. So she had been kind of living a straight life for a while, doing the, the cooking and housekeeping for that guy, but at this point she's a new new mom, unsupported, there's no child support system set up there's no social security there's no welfare anything like that set up at the time so she needs a way to make money and she quickly reverts back to petty theft yeah she needs to get back to business yeah she needs to feed herself and her baby which honestly i don't think she cared that much about the baby but (laughs) she reverts back to her life of crime in one article they described kate as a tall strongly made woman about strongly made made. I think she was a little buff I guess I don't know um about five feet five inches in height and sallow and much freckled complexion and large prominent teeth oh I wouldn't want someone to describe my teeth as large prominent teeth yeah Mm. I don't even really know what that means but I don't know what that means either. It's so funny to read descriptions of people in these old-timey cases. Yeah, they crack me up. <laughs> so she has a newborn baby. She's starting her petty theft again. And again, she's not great at it. So she's arrested several times in the next few years. Every couple months she's getting arrested for getting caught stealing shit. And I don't really know where her son's going at this point in time. Because she has like a newborn baby. But after she gets released from jail in 1874, so her son's like three years old at this point, she gets out of jail, she decides to get a real job as a domestic worker again, but she's constantly on the move and going by different names. So she's using the last name um, Webster or just Webb or her maiden, maiden name Lawler or just different variations of these same words, but she's getting jobs doing domestic work, cleaning, housekeeping, that kind of stuff, but she doesn't love it, and she will steal from the people and then move on. Uh, 
During this period of time, while she's doing this domestic work, she becomes friends with this woman named Sarah. And Sarah becomes such a good friend of hers, and she actually ends up being the one to take care of Kate's son when she gets arrested all these times. So I don't know who was taking care of him for the first, like, three years of his life, but (laughs) then she meets this other, like, housekeeper lady named Sarah, and Sarah takes in her son when she's in jail or prison. And then in 1879, two years after this, so her son's now like five and she's like 30. She, Sarah's still been like taking care of her son most of the time. And Sarah's like, hey, I'm really sick. I can't go to work today. Will you go in as a temporary replacement for me and do my job? So at this point in time, Sarah worked for the Loader family and she was just their like housekeeper slash cook or whatever. She just was their servant basically. And so she was like, I'm super sick. Can you go in and cover me for me today? And Kate was like, yeah, for sure. Watch my son probably. <laughs> and so she goes into the loader's house and works really hard this day. Cause she likes to impress people at the beginning and make them think she's really good at her job or whatever, win them over and make them think that she's like this really responsible housekeeper. And then just flip the switch. Yeah, exactly. And so she she only has to go in for one day for the Loaders. And Mrs. Loader was friends with a woman named Julia Martha Thomas. And she knew that Julia was looking for a live-in domestic servant of her own. And was like, hey, Kate, like, if you want this kind of job, I can introduce you to my friend Julia. And Kate was like, fuck yeah, I want a full-time job doing this shit. I could always use more money. Is your is your friend rich by chance? Does does she have lots of nice things? Yeah, right. She's wealthy enough to have a living servant. Um, yeah, I want that job. <laughs> so, uh, really quickly, Mrs. Loader introduces Kate to Julia. Julia was a widow in her fifties. She was like fifty two, fifty four. All of the news articles describe her as elderly. Because being 52 in the 1800s was elderly. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> but she was a former school teacher. She had been widowed twice, and she'd been living alone for the last six years since her husband died. Her neighbors considered her eccentric and excitable, and her friends and family said she would frequently travel and not tell anyone where she was going for weeks at a time. She was really just kind of weird. Nobody knew what she was doing, and she had a really excitable temperament, is what they called it. So I think she was just moody. I think it was a flip of a switch situation with her. Um, She was not a wealthy woman. She was, like, lower middle class, actually, but she really wanted people to think she was wealthy. She wanted that status symbol, so she always dressed up in her best dresses. She wore a bunch of fancy jewelry all of the time, and she tried to make herself appear to be above her standings in society, basically. Yeah. And it's believed that she wanted to hire a domestic servant in her house to help with that status symbol more than anything else, just to make her look like she was more wealthy than she really was. Okay. But she'd been a really harsh employer, and she always was randomly just, like, going on vacations for a week at a time without any notice, and so it was really hard for her to keep any employees at her house because nobody wanted to put up with her crazy 
moods and whims, and she'd had a hard time keeping an employee. So Kate and Julia meet up, thanks to Mrs. Loader, to like see if it's going to be a good arrangement. And in that first meeting, Julia offered Kate a job on the spot. Didn't really ask her anything about her background, anything about her. She was just like, oh, you want to be my domestic servant for cheap? Awesome. I want one of those so I look like a rich person. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. You're in. So Kate moves in in January of 1879. Her son's still living with Sarah at this point. What the? Who's also just like another domestic servant at this point in time. So, like, not somebody who has the money to take care of someone else's kid, but whatever. Yeah. Um, so, Kate moves in with Julia in January of 1879. And for the first week or two, things were great. She was an excellent employee. She was working really hard, keeping the house spotless, doing a fantastic job. But then soon her real nature began to show, and she stopped working hard. She stopped cleaning well. And she would just often disappear to the pub for way longer than she said she would be gone and come home drunk. Of course. And Julia was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, I'm paying you to live at my house full time and take care of everything I want all the time. And you need to do that. Like, you're not doing any of that. And so Julia would, like, follow her around the house and point out places that she didn't clean well enough. Like, she would literally just walk around behind her and be like, you missed a spot, you didn't clean here, you didn't do this, you're not doing this right. And Kate was like, fuck this shit, you crazy bitch. And She's like, alright, I'm out. Yeah, so very quickly they began to just fucking hate each other. But they were, like, kind of relying on each other and kind of still trying to make it work because it went okay for the first, like, week and a half or whatever. (laughs) Um, And it got to the point that Julia, the more wealthy person would try and convince friends to come stay with her so she didn't have to be alone with Kate. And literally it just been a couple weeks at this point in time. It's like just cut fucking ties, man. Seriously, like what's the there's no point. Like bye. Yeah, no thank you. So it was some point in January of 1879 that she hired Kate. And then finally she was like, this is fucking ridiculous. I'm gonna let you go. You need to leave on February 28th. That's going to be your last day. And she's giving you a little bit advance notice. So she gave her a couple days notice. So she'd been there a little over a month. And all this shit had gone down. <laughs> and Kate was like, oh my gosh, like I, I understand this isn't working out, whatever. But like, can you please keep me on until March 2nd? That's a Sunday. I'll finish out the week and it'll give me a little more time to make arrangements for myself on where I'm going to live and what I'm going to do to make money. And so Julia was like, okay, that's fine. So she was like, um, I'm going to fire you at the end of the month. And Kate was like, no, fire me at the end of that week instead. Julia was like, fine. So Kate convinced her to let her stay another three days beyond what she had originally planned. And her new last day was March 2nd, and that was a Sunday. And on Sunday afternoons, Kate had the morning off. She didn't have to work. That was like her one part of the week that she was off was Sunday mornings. And then she was supposed to come home in the late afternoon to help Julia get ready for evening church service. And so her very last day of work, she's supposed to be back 
to help Julia get ready for church that evening. And she goes to the pub and comes home late. And Julia's fucking pissed because now she's going to be late to church because Kate spent too much time at the local alehouse or whatever. And they get in this fight. So Kate gets there. Julia's mad. She They get in like a verbal argument about it. And Kate helps her get ready for church. I don't know why she needs fucking help to get ready for church. She's fucking 52 to 54 years old. Like, put on your dress and go to church? I don't know. I don't understand. But apparently she couldn't do it without Kate. Even though it was Kate's last day of work. So Mm. I don't know what she's going to do next week. But they get this big fight. And Julia's in a huff when she finally shows up to church. And other church members are like, are you okay? Because they could tell she was so agitated from this fight. And she's like... Uh, my servant was late and she threw a fit when I reprimanded her about it and it was just this whole big thing I'm just flustered Uh, and they're like oh I'm sorry (laughs) or whatever you say to the lady at church that is complaining about her servant (laughs) and Julia is so flustered she ends up leaving church early that night and going home she gets home from church that night and she comes in the door and she doesn't say anything to Kate. She just storms past her and goes up the stairs. Like, she's in a fight with her boyfriend or something, you know. And she's like, I'm giving you the silent treatment. So she just storms past Kate and goes up the stairs. And Kate starts, starts following her up the stairs and is like, really? Come on. And so they get start arguing and they get in this huge fight. And the fight gets physical. So Kate ends up throwing Julia down the entire set of stairs And she lands at the bottom, and she fractured her skull in three places. Wow. But she's still alive. And so Kate is like, holy shit, she's going to scream. The cops are going to come. I'm going to be put in prison for the rest of my life. So what do you do? You strangle the person to death, right? Oh, of course that's the right that's the right answer of course the only reasonable action at this point when you accidentally throw someone down the stairs in a fight um when you're a strongly built 29 year old or whatever yeah and you basically just murdered a 54 year old so that's not looking good yeah so julia was still alive but kate freaked out and she strangles her to death and now kate's in a frenzy this is when the story gets really gross so heads up so Kate's in a frenzy and she decides like, oh shit, I need to get rid of this body. And so she finds a straight razor and begins dismembering the body with a straight razor. Like, oh my God. That you shave your face with in old timey times. Yeah. Just a little straight razor. And so she starts like dismembering the body. And then when it gets to like the head, she realizes that's not going to work. So she goes and gets like, a fucking, fucking butcher knife from the kitchen and dismembers oh. this body. She also decided to try and boil as many of the body parts as she could and then... Boil? Yes. I think boil. to help prevent them from smelling so quickly, I guess. I don't really understand why. And she burned some of the other smaller body parts. So then, That's disgusting. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. So then she gets this big box. I don't know what kind of box. I think like a wooden box that was in the house. A large box. And she starts just like shoving body parts into it. And she fits everything she can in there. And then she like can't fit anymore. So everything's in this box except a foot and Julia's head. Oh. 
So she's like, oh, shit, I have this foot and this head I need to do something with. In the meantime, so this has taken a couple days to do all this. And she just keeps taking break and, like, going to the pub and having a few drinks. What in the fuck? She's a little bit of an alcoholic, I think. Um, Well, she should go buy, like, a bottle of vodka and finish the job at home and not go back and forth. Yeah, she even, like, took the fillings out of Julia's teeth and, like, melted them down and went and pawned them to have money to buy booze, I guess. Like, to go to the bar. That's freaking weird. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. So she is like doing all this and going to the bar and getting drunk. And in the meantime, she's also started wearing some Julia's nice silk dresses because even though Julia was like lower middle class, she had all these nice clothes to try and make herself look richer. And Kate's like, Oh, these are nice. So she starts wearing a bunch of Julia's fancy clothes and her jewelry. And she starts calling herself Mrs. Thomas, which was Julia's last name. So she puts the head in a black bag and she goes to the home of her previous neighbors. So when she first came to this area of London, she lived in this other neighborhood and she lived next door to the Porters. She became pretty good friends of the Porters. She was this young mom at the time and they really liked her. And so she goes, but she hasn't seen them in like six years. And so she shows up at their door And she's dressed really nicely, and she tells them that her last name is Thomas now, and she says that she had remarried in the last six years, but unfortunately her husband had died, and that her aunt had also recently died and left her everything. So she had this, like, new house full of belongings that she had to try and um, get rid of because she wanted to move back to Ireland. So she's like, hey, do you guys know any property brokers who can help me move this house or sell this house or like any of the belongings inside of it? Like, I really just want to sell it all and go back to Ireland, but like I could use the money. And so she's spending the evening with these old friends, the porters. And at some point during the night, she was like, oh, I have to excuse myself for a little bit. I'll be right back. But I have another friend I need to go see. And they're like, okay. And she took the black bag with her. And then when she came back, the black bag was gone. The black bag the black bag had Julia's head in it. They didn't know that. And she was just toting that around? Yes. I don't know what kind of black bag. Like a fucking handbag or like a fucking duffel bag. I don't know. But she left with the bag, came back without the bag. And they're like, whatever. Like, she's a little weird. She's lost... That was really loud. <laughs> so she comes back and they notice, but they don't think much of it. Like, okay, yeah, she recently asked her aunt. She's just trying to get stuff arranged, whatever. So then she asks the porter's son, Robert, if he could help her move a box from her aunt's house. She said she had a friend that was going to come pick it up and she just needed help carrying it because it was a big box and she's just a little five foot five strongly built woman. <laughs> and he's of like, All the dead body parts? Yes. And so he's like, okay, I guess. And so he goes with her back to her aunt's house, quote unquote. And she has this like box and they're both carrying the box and they get to the middle of this bridge. And she's like, oh, hey, this is where my friend's going to pick this up from. You can go on and keep walking home. I'll catch up to you in a minute. They're meeting me here soon. So he's like, he's like, okay, I think he's like a fucking 
young teenage boy, like a 15 year old boy or something. It didn't say, it just kept referring to him as like a young lad. But since they, she asked him for his help, I imagine he's in his early teens. So he has a little muscle on him to actually help with that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think he's like a 14, 15 year old kid and he keeps watch, walking and a seconds later he hears a big splash and he's like well, that's fucking weird and then all of a sudden she's like running to catch up with him and she literally just like threw the box over into the river she's like uh, i thought someone was gonna come pick that up yeah that's and he weird. didn't question anything because that wouldn't be polite and maybe yeah. she just left the box he didn't know but um Another version of the story that I read said that she, like, they were walking together carrying the box, and all of a sudden she just, like, lifted up her end and hucked it over the railing to the river, and he still was holding the other side and was like, what the fuck did you just do? Because it, like, threw the whole thing over and he had to let go, and he was like, what the fuck was that? And she was just like, oops, or something. I I slipped. Oopsies. I kind of believe the story more that she was just like, oh, this is, I'm just going to meet somebody here. You go on ahead without me. That makes more sense. But that makes way more sense. uh, So anyways, he's like, that was fucking weird. Uh, But then the next day, a man discovered a box on the shore of the river. And it's like a wood box. It's not like a fucking cardboard box. And he's like, what is this? And so, of course, he opens it up and he finds a dismembered body that was partially boiled and That's so disgusting. Yeah. Why? I don't know. So like I've never heard of someone boiling a body. So this is a gross part of the story that I didn't even include because it's not proven. But legend says that she boiled it to gather the fatty parts and to sell it as like um gravy. And she was oh. offering to sell like fatty bits to people in the local pub and she didn't say what it was of but that was a thing back then because fat was expensive that's like good shit and so poor people couldn't buy fatty meats and so if you were selling fatty bits you could make a good bit of money but it was usually off of like fucking cow or whatever you know and so there's rumors she was trying to sell these like melted fatty bits in the pub in the following days, but there's no proof that that actually happened. That's and allegedly horrific. nobody bought them, but it could be the reason why she was boiling body parts. That's disgusting. It is so disgusting. So, anyways, this guy discovers this box on the shore of the river. He opens it up, he discovers his body, and he notifies the police. So the police come, the coroner identifies the body and is like, well, it's definitely a woman, but like her head's gone. We can't tell who she is. This is fucking 1870-whatever. And Julia hadn't been reported missing because she lived alone and she would go missing for weeks at a time and her family wasn't concerned. And at this point in time, no one noticed yet. Yeah. So they weren't sure whose body was this missing woman. Um, Kate's now charading as Mrs. Thomas. She tells her old neighbors that's her new name, and this is her house, and all this stuff. And yeah, and so she asks them, the porters, if they know anybody who could buy any of her stuff or help her sell her house. 
And she keeps like kind of hounding them like, I don't know anyone. Please help me. I don't know anyone in this area. I really just need the money, whatever. And so finally, Mr. Porter introduces her to a man named John Church. And he bought and sold property. And so he wouldn't sell like the house, but he was like, I might be able to buy some of your aunt's stuff if it's worth anything. So she meets Mr. Church and the two of them become friends pretty quickly. They go out for drinks a couple times and he agrees to buy some furniture from her and some of her aunt's clothing. In the meantime, the news finds out about this body that was found in the river and they release an article describing the box that was found and the porters read the story and their son Robert was like, hey, that sounds like the box I helped Kate carry and that she threw over the edge of the river and they're like, um, what the fuck? And in the same time frame, John Church bought some of the furniture and clothing. And in that, he found some of the belongings of the real Mrs. Thomas, like a diary and some paperwork and a letter. And good. he linked the letter from Julia Thomas, the actual Mrs. Thomas, to one of her friends. So he talks to Mr. Porter And he's like, this is seeming pretty fucking weird. And Mr. Porter's like, yeah, it fucking is. And so he's like, I found this letter. It's to one of her friends. Let's go talk to him. So they go to this friend and they're like, hey, who is Mrs. Thomas? And he's like, Mrs. Thomas is like a 54-year-old widow. She's been unmarried for the last like six years. Her husband died. She's lived alone. She's fucking weird. And they're like, so she's not like a 30-year-old with yeah. a six-year-old son? No? Okay, cool. Obviously, it's not fucking Kate. So, they're putting together some pieces. Yeah, and figuring it out, piecing it together. Yeah, they're like, something's fucking weird. Kate's a liar. We need to go to the police. So, yeah. they go to the police, and they're like, hey, just so you guys know, we think this lady's living in someone else's house and trying to use their last name. And the police are like, That's enough for us to go search her home. So the next day, the police go to the home and they search it. They find an axe, a razor, some charred bones, and a missing handle that matched the box that was found in the river. And they're like, okay, this is enough to arrest you for murder. (laughs) By now, it's March 23rd. So she was supposed to be fired on March 2nd, and that's the day that the murder happened. So it's been three weeks. It's been 21 days after the murder. And the police go to this house, they search it, and Kate's not there when they search it. But they find this stuff, and they're like, okay, we think we have a suspect. We're going to put a bolo out for her or whatever. And they release her description to all of the local police precincts. And Kate had seen the signs coming. She knew they were coming to search the place somehow. So she went and got her t- her son from Sarah and fled to Ireland. And the police were like, where should we look for this Irish lady? Uh, maybe Ireland. So <laughs> the first place they look is Ireland. They find her or they contact the police in Ireland. And they're like, hey, go look for this Kate lady. And the Ireland police are like, yep, we found her. We'll hold her for you. Come get her. And so on March 28th, they brought her back so like five days after they searched the house they brought her back to England and then she was actually charged with murder on the 30th so another two days later so 
Initially, they also charged John Church with murder, the man who had bought the belongings from her aunt. Uh. And they just assumed, like, a woman couldn't have done this all by herself, and he was benefiting off of it. So they arrested him, but he had, like, a really strong alibi. And the porters were like, no, we literally introduced him to her after the murder took place. Like, he, he did not know her. There's no way that happened. And so thankfully, he had a really strong alibi, and he helped the police discover that she was involved. And so they were like, okay, you can go. You weren't involved. Yeah, all right, all right. I guess we believe you. But he was briefly charged with murder for this whole thing. Yikes. That yeah. would be terrifying. Right? Especially oh, like, I didn't do that. I had my hands in this, like, a lot. I was, I literally bought some of these belongings of this dead lady. Like, fuck. Yeah. But thankfully they believed him and he was released. So she goes to trial and her defense tries to say that they couldn't even prove that the body in the box was Julia because they never found a head. And even if it was Julia, maybe she died of natural causes. You don't know. Because oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a she good died defense. Of natural causes. And then cut herself up into pieces and boiled the body parts. What? Yeah, that's totally natural. Like, you don't naturally just, like, fall apart into little pieces. No? Yeah. That's not how that works. Into a pot of boiling water and then... Somehow plop in a box and fall in a river? Yeah. Hmm. No. Um, Didn't think so. And the biggest nail in the coffin was a bonnet maker that they put on the stand. Because this lady who made bonnets said that she had had Kate come into her shop or whatever a week before the murder. And Kate had been talking to her about how she was needing to sell some belongings and property that had been left to her. And... It was a week before the murder. And they're like, she planned this. She knew she was going to have to sell this shit a week before it happened. And so that was like the biggest nail in her coffin, so to say. So in the end, the jury only took one hour to deliberate and find her guilty. It was like a week long trial and they deliberated for an hour and were like, bitch is guilty. Yeah, they're like, um, she can't like finagle her way out of this she's guilty as fuck no that she did this and so then after they found her guilty but before sentencing the judge asked her if she had anything to say and she was like you can't hang me i'm pregnant (laughs) so um this caused a temporary stir because everybody was like oh shit we can't hang a pregnant lady that's not okay so they paused everything and she was examined one article said she was examined by a doctor (laughs) Another article said she was examined by a bunch of women that happened to be in the courtroom that day. Oh my gosh. Either way, they were like, nah, she's not pregnant. It's okay. And she was sentenced to death. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she wasn't pregnant, though, probably, right? No. Like, that she was, was just, just a, lie. a huge fucking liar. But yeah. it's like, they didn't have pregnancy tests. How would either of those groups of people determine if she was pregnant or not in, like, a brief look over yeah. of her body no 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 she's not pregnant no. it's fine i don't i don't think that there's anything growing in there we're <laughs> fine no. uh, um so they determined that was another one of her lies and she was sentenced to death and after this she was sitting in jail and when she realized that she wasn't going to be getting any appeals and that she was going to be hang- hung to death she came forward with a confession 
And in her first confession, she says that Strong, the father of her son and man that abandoned her, was involved. She said that he helped her commit the murder and that he led her down a path to crime and a life of crime or whatever. And it was like, okay, but you haven't seen him in like six fucking years. But yeah, sure, 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 sure. Sure, lady. <laughs> and then... Uh, a couple weeks passed and it was the night before her scheduled execution and she recanted that and was like Strong wasn't involved I did it no one else was involved and she wrote down her confession and that's the only way we have any of these details about her pushing Julia down the stairs or any of that it's just what she says happened so that might not even be true. She might have been waiting to attack her. She, you know, it might not have been an argument that escalated. We don't know because yeah. we just got those details from her the night before her execution. But she recants. She makes sure everybody knows that Strong wasn't involved. John Church wasn't involved. It was just her. And yeah. that that's her version of what happened. But she's a fucking liar. So who knows? Yeah, she's a big fat liar, man. Either way, she was hanged on July 29th, 1879. On the same day that she was hanged, there was an auction of Julia's property at her house. The murder Uh, victim. Yikes. And people have always been, like, morbidly weird. So there was all these people going to get, like, fucking souvenirs from the murder house. And they were betting on items like the pot that the body parts were boiled in. And, like, the straight razor, shit like that. People bought it. And, like, all of her clothing and belongings and everything was auctioned off that same day. That's freaking weird. Oh, I can't believe that, like, they would let that stuff sell. Like, I mean, I guess they didn't know that it was used in a murder? No, they totally did. Like, that's why it sold for more money. And then there was people coming just to collect, like, stones and twigs off of the ground in the area as, like, their own souvenir of the murder house. Yeah, it was just before there was, like, regulations on that kind of shit. So someone made a bunch of money off of Julia's belongings. I don't know who, because she didn't have any, like, family. But the house itself didn't sell for another 20 years because no one wanted to live in the murder house. Oh, wow. And then even after it finally sold... There, the servants that worked there didn't want to work there, and there was rumors of a ghostly nun on the property. Huh. Then, so that was in 1879 that she was hanged, and in 1952, so 70 years later-ish, Sir David Attenborough, he's super famous in Britain, in England. He's a famous English broadcaster and natural historian. He bought a house between some cottages and the Hole in the Wall pub. And this Hole in the Wall pub is where Kate used to go and drink. So he buys this house between these cottages or whatever. And then in 2007, another fucking 50 years later, 55 years later, uh, the pub closed down. And so then David Attenborough bought the property that the pub was on to, like, expand his home or whatever and have it redeveloped. So in 2010, he was having it redeveloped and workers were excavating the backyard of this old pub and they came across a woman's skull. (gasps) In 2010, 
it had been buried under the foundations that had placed in like been placed in like the 1970s. So it had been buried buried in like the late 1800s probably and then they expanded the foundation in the 1970s and so it was covered by the foundation and then in 2010 they were, were digging up this backyard and they find this skull no freaking way at this pub that Kate used to frequent and so they believe that Kate went there with that black bag that day dug a hole behind the pub or whatever and buried the head and then just went back to the porter's house so then um, they like that call. makes complete sense. Yeah, and so they call the coroner because they found his fucking skull. And so, like, there's scientists and coroners and police, and they're all looking into this head. And so they do a bunch of tests on the skull that they found, and there's three fractures on the skull that match the fall down the stairs that Skate, that Kate had described. And then they find a low collagen levels. Which indicates that it might have been boiled. Yeah, because it sucked the fat out. Yep. And then carbon dating narrowed the timeline down of where when the skull came from. And it was like a really broad range of like 1600 to 1800 something. But because it was buried near some tiles that had been created in the 1800s, put it at the end part of that date range. So... Dating-wise, it did seem like it was the 1800s that it had been buried there. And so they narrowed down the timeline. And in July of 2011, they concluded that the skull was, in fact, Julia Thomas's. She didn't have any blood relatives alive. So there's no DNA testing that could be done. And there's no record of where her other remains ended up buried. So they couldn't, like, compare the DNA to that. But the professionals believe that that's the correct identification of the skull that was found in 2010 that had been buried in 1874. That's freaking nuts. And it's definitely her skull. Yeah, right? 100%. Like, no questions asked. And so they buried the skull in an unmarked grave on August 24th, 2011. Uh. Isn't it crazy? That's nuts. Yeah. What a crazy end to that story. Like, they found the skull so many years later. Over a hundred years later. That's so crazy. Yeah. And just, like, interesting. And yeah, so fucking weird. Yeah. It's like, so full nice. circle, weird. And that it happened to be David Attenborough that, like, owned the property. Like, it just has this weird, like, link to a famous European guy. Yeah. It's nuts. It's a, such a weird crazy story that was a good one yeah i have another like short little funny story too okay um of the uk's worst bank robber (laughs) so between november 23rd and december 3rd of 2018 terence cole attempted to rob six different banks dang he went into each different bank with a scarf around his face And the scarf was so thick, it muffled his voice. So the tellers had no idea what he was saying to them. (laughs) 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 On one of the occasions, so he had a gray brush that he wrapped in duct tape to make it look like a gun. 
So he didn't have a real gun, but he had this like really bad, badly made fake gun that he was trying to rob these banks with. And on one of the occasions, he went into the bank and he pulled out this fake gun and the lady, the bank teller saw it and she saw that it was not a gun and she told him to saw it off, which is totally... It just saw it off. English phrase. Ah, uh, saw it off. Oh, like piss off guy. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> she like laughed in his face basically. <laughs> so finally at one of the banks he actually got some money and he made off with about five hundred dollars. And somehow the cops were able to track him down and he admitted to them that he would have just kept robbing banks until he made enough money to pay off his $2,600 gambling debt if they hadn't have caught him. What? He went to six banks and he got $500 from one bank and then he got caught. <laughs> so six he, banks, man? You should have, like, why Why do you keep going? Yeah, it's not working. You're as bad as, yeah. at bank robbing as you are gambling, apparently. Yeah, apparently. You're an idiot. So he goes to trial for bank robbery, which is a fucking federal crime here in the U.S. Like, that's a fucking life sentence, possibly. And the judge is like, you're lucky you're so bad at robbery because if you were any better, you would be facing life in prison, but you're so shitty, I'm going to give you eight years. Oh my gosh, just because he's just so terrible at it. Yeah. He had a big gun. It was a brush. For the first four banks, they couldn't even understand what you were saying, and then you just left. The fifth one, you had a fucking... She told you to sod off. And then the sixth one, you made the lady cry hysterically and got $500. So you're getting sentenced to eight years, and you're lucky it's not longer, because you're a shitty bank robber. Goodbye. You're an idiot. So that's the UK's worst bank robber. That was pretty bad. Yeah, so this was fun. I think we're going to get back to the US soon. How should we switch it up? Should we do alphabetical? We could do that. Should we do the same order? Mm. I feel like our listeners seem to like the U.S. cases more. And it's kind of easier just to know what we have coming next week instead of making it up. So Yeah, that's true. Uh, next week we'll be back in the U.S. We'll surprise you guys before we start and let you know what we decide. Yeah. Okay. You got a joke for me, Amber? So, knock, knock. Who's there? Europe. Europe who? No, Europe who? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Europe. (laughs) I gotta tell you how I got that joke. So, have you watched the show Yellowstone? No. Okay, so, um, it's on that show, and it's the the kid... Um, he's like the, basically the John, John Dutton is like the guy that's the, it's his ranch basically. And his son, Casey, um, it's his son that says the joke in one of the episodes. And when I heard it, I thought it was the funniest thing ever. I mean, I had a few cocktails and I was just like laughing my ass off at that joke. And, and then, then we were doing Europe this week. Yeah. So. And I was like, oh my God, I have a joke. <laughs> so I texted to Aaron so that I could remember it because he like never texts me. So I just open it and it's right there. And so then I was like, I have a joke. <laughs> and I just been waiting to tell it. And I just thought it was so fucking funny. Oh my God. It was perfect for this week. Good job. Yeah. <laughs>
year of two. <laughs> no, year of two. <laughs> and then Aaron's like, you got to make sure you wait for the right time. And I'm like, well, we normally just try to end with a joke when we have a joke. And he was like, oh, you have a joke section? I didn't know that. Oh, is he going to start listening now to just wait for the jokes? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Also, we haven't done them in the last few episodes. Yeah. It's but too much I was pressure. so stoked. And the fact that I'm like, I have to text it. So that I remember it because I'll hear one and then when it comes, I'm like, oh shit, what was that joke? But this time I was prepared. (laughs) That's funny. I'm bad at remembering (laughs) jokes, so that can be your job. Uh, (laughs) All right. Okay, so I think next week we'll be back in the US. There's a lot of countries we didn't do, so maybe we'll just slip in some like random other countries here and there. Yeah, maybe, like, we'll do, like, go back to the U.S., but then, like you said, like, every once in a while, we'll just, like... Take a break. Yeah. Take a detour. uh, Yeah. Vacation from our road trip. (laughs) Yeah. I like it. I like the idea. Okay. Well, stay tuned, folks. Love you guys. Bye! Bye! Follow us on social media. Like, rate us, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Okay. Bye! Okay, bye! Thanks! Bye!